Hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, radio, TV host, podcaster, double vaccinated, social media addict, going to indoor things and pretty damn excited about it. And I'm Jen Jordan, and I am just a fan of Mara Davis's. Well, this fan dumb goes both ways because I have to tell you, I'm sitting with Jen and she is in like full like lady wear. I have seen you. She means clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Jen's in a dress. This is the first time I've ever seen you wear your engagement ring. Or jewelry, period, right? Yeah, no jewelry. So you're in a gorgeous, like, you're like, we're working this morning. That's right. You know, always working right now. Always hustling. I mean, I put on real clothes too, but like, you're like, you're like dressed like for business. I'm like, who, who is that? It's called ABC, (laughs) baby. Always be closing. That's right. right. Or TCB, taking care of business, (laughs) baby. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So as we're evolving out of the pandemic, we're both double vaccinated and it is really exciting. I know that there's like an air of like, I had put out a tweet that said, you know, I drove around over the weekend and I was watching people just out. Everybody felt like, yeah. And I saw you were at a rally in Cobb County and people were like, yeah. Did it feel like that? It felt crazy. I mean, we still had on masks, right? Because A, you don't know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't and you're still trying to model good behavior. But man, it, it felt like we're kind of on the, we're right there getting close to normal. And it was pretty amazing. You have a new little catchphrase. The lie is the why. <laughs> Look, I was sitting there and we were doing our thing and and everybody's talking about SB202 and, you know, how bad it is. But I keep going back to why do we even have this bill in the first place? And really, it's because of a big lie. So if we kind of keep that kind of in the forefront, it doesn't matter what they say or, or, or how they characterize things. It was completely unnecessary in the first place. And, and really, a lie, the lie, was the why of why we have this bill. Hashtag the lie is the why. Love it. So let's start with the Senate Judiciary Committee had a, a big hearings um, a few days ago, and it was the same day as the Chauvin verdict. So it may not have gotten a lot of attention, but... There was a a moment in this that was pretty, like, it it did go viral, but to hear it again is pretty amazing. And this is, all these senators were questioning Stacey Abrams. And, of course, you had Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, Senator Cotton. But this, with Senator Kennedy, this really went viral. This was, this was something. Tell me, you're against the Georgia bill, I gather. Is that right? I'm against certain provisions of it, yes. Okay, and I think you've called it a racist bill. Am I right? I think there are provisions of it that are racist, yes. Okay. Tell me specifically, just give me a list of the provisions that you objected. It shortens the federal runoff period from nine weeks to four weeks. Okay. It restricts the time a voter can request and return an absentee ballot application. Right. It requires that a voter have a photo identification or some other form of identification that they're willing to surrender in order to participate in the absentee ballot um, process. If I can stop you, that's that's where they're going uh, to to, uh, not comparing signatures, but to voter ID? Yes, sir. And as Ms. Eiffel has pointed out, we would become 
only the fourth state in the nation to require voters to put at yes, risk what, their what, identities. What, what else? What else? It eliminates over 300 hours of Dropbox availability. Okay, it what else? Nearly, it bans nearly all out-of-precinct votes. Bans what? I'm sorry? Out of, it bans nearly all out-of-precinct votes, okay. meaning that if you get to a precinct, and you are in line for four hours and you get to the end of the line and you are not there between 5 and 7 p.m. Okay, you what have else? To start all over again. Is that everything? And, no, it is not. <laughs> no, sir. It restricts the hours of operation because it now, under the guise of setting a standardized timeline, it makes it optional for counties that may be... Mm -hmm. Um, may not want to see expanded access to the right to vote. They can now limit their hours instead of those hours being from seven to seven. They're now from nine to five, which may have an effect on voters who cannot vote during business hours on, during early voting. It limits the. OK, I hours. get the idea. I get the idea. Yeah, it's incredible because if you go back and you listen to the questioning of each of the U.S. senators, they were following the same script with respect to Stacey Abrams and man. Did she school them? It was one of those things where you could almost see the look on her face because I watched it because I'm that kind of person and um, kind of the look on her face like, are they really asking me this question? And then she just kind of knocked it out of the park. It's like, if you really want me to tell you all the ways this is bad, I am happy to do that. Pretty unbelievable. Well, they thought they were going to outsmart her in this. And she knows more about this this law than, than anybody, really. I mean, I mean, it, it, she does not get rattled by anything. Not only that, but come on, like they're to act like they're going to go in there and school her. I mean, they they clearly did not understand who they were dealing with. And look, Abrams is somebody if you underestimate her, you do it to your peril, really. Well, that was. Definitely evident. And, you know, one of the biggest mistruths about this is the all-star game, the Major League Baseball all-star game, which the Major League Baseball pulled out of. And there is this weird number floating around of $100 million that $100 million in lost revenue is happening because of the pullout. Is that accurate? I don't think it is. Look, the $100 million comes from some press release that MLB had had put out a long time ago, but that really has to do with them trying to convince cities that they're really good for the city, right? There is absolutely no evidence with respect to that. And I think that anybody with good walking around sense would know that the MLB All-Star Game here in Atlanta, while it is would would bring money, clearly, it ain't going to bring $100 million. Uh, Well, it's it's one game and then one event, the home run derby, the game itself. I like how Senator Chuck Grassley made the mistake. Well, this is what he said. Offended by most infamously Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game from Atlanta, a move that's likely to cost the city's economy 100 million jobs, and that's affecting the income of uh, Georgians. I mean, a hundred million jobs. Yeah, wow. well, it may as well be, <laughs> right? That's about as true as a hundred million dollars, for goodness sakes. It just seems like that number has been carried around. And then the fact that uh, Stacey Abrams wanted, uh, it's, I feel like everything that goes wrong, I stub my toe, Stacey Abrams! No, and that's that's what's fascinating about kind of this whole thing 
is that Abrams has been pretty clear in terms of of her positioning on this. And I don't think she's ever advocated for MLB to pull out or whatever. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if people want to do this and and they feel that it's important to make a point, then absolutely, I get it. But I don't. I think it's really, yeah, it's really not smart to try to act like that. That Abrams was pushing this. Okay. Well, let's talk about U.S. Senate runs for a minute. First off, it was announced that Doug Collins is not going to run for Senate or or anything or anything. Yeah, this cycle, which was surprising to be quite frank. Well, you know I ha- I like him. I know you do. You're a big fan. In I- terms of and let's be clear, we're not when we say big fan, we're talking about ideology apart. I mean, I think Mara from a communication standpoint really looks at people in terms of authenticity, how they're communicating, are they getting their point across? And so with respect to that, she has always been a fan of Collins. Always. Like he's someone I'd love to sit down and have a beer with. I would love to hear his backstory. I'd love to hear about his family. I don't agree with any of his policies. Some of the things that he did during the impeachment hearings were, were very upsetting to me. I was not a fan of that. But as a guy, as someone who's been a public servant, who is out in the community, who walks the walk, I like him. Well, not only that, but look, I can separate some of the bad from maybe there's a little good. I mean, he has been really pushing criminal justice reform for a long time, the First Step Act. So it, it's one of those things that we as a country can't just throw people out altogether. And and sometimes, you know, when there are things we can agree on, we we need to acknowledge that and appreciate that when people push those things. Well, you know, he's a fantasy guest for me on this podcast. I know. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe Congressman Collins, if he's listening, I, you never know, right? I would be excited. I would want to talk food with him. I'd want to talk, you know, I want to hear Maybe him. music, right? Music. I want a little sampling of a sermon. I mean, I think he's big in kind of into the Nashville music scene. All right. You never know. Never know. All right. Well, we'll have to, you know, cross cross our fingers and I see know. what happens. Push, push hard, right? So let's talk about Herschel Walker because... Do we have to, really? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the thing, and we're going to talk to Greg Bluestein from the AJC coming up in a moment, and I'm going to ask him about this. A lot of people have been holding off and, and announcing their Senate runs because they're, they're everybody's kind of waiting to see what this Herschel Walker deal is going to be if he's going to run for Senate. No, so this is the craziest thing. So, you know, you hear this in the media, you see it on social media, and I'm like, this has got to be a joke, right? It is not a joke. And, of course, Greg can maybe address this because he talks to all kinds of Republicans and operatives and stuff. It literally is that Republicans are waiting until Herschel Walker says yay or nay before they make a decision. And I think that is nuts. First of all, he's not even a Georgia resident, right? He hasn't lived here in 20 plus years, and he's going to be the savior that comes in to be the U.S. Senate candidate for the Georgia GOP. My biggest thing is the don't mix sports and politics. I'm actually, you know, look, he could move to Georgia tomorrow and suddenly he's a Georgia resident. I don't think anybody's going to make a big stink about that because he's 
bleeds red and blue, Georgia Bulldogs. I think people will overlook that in a minute. Red and, red and black. Red and black, yep. red and blue. Mara. Sorry. Yeah, get that straight. <laughs> get that straight, dog Sorry, nation. I was just like, red, white, and blue, America. So, okay, so you move them back in. It's like nobody's fixated on where Marjorie Taylor Greene lived. But she lives in the friggin' state. Uh, she lives in the state. That's right. It's a U.S. senator from the state of Georgia. Okay. Listen, I'm being devil's advocate. Okay. Okay. Go, go for it. Okay. I'm saying that they can sort of erase that. The thing for me is the sports and politics thing, because here we have been talking about Major League Baseball. Oh, we shouldn't get involved in politics and baseball. You've got all these, you know, the whole Colin Kaepernick shouldn't get involved in sports. Don't do it. You know, LeBron James, keep your mouth shut. But Suddenly it's okay for an athlete who's known mostly, he's not known for politics. Does he have any political experience? Uh, No. I mean, look, what you're kind of referencing is kind of this whole cancel culture thing that the the governor and uh, the AG Carr has referenced in terms of, you know, they're trying to kind of focus on these cultural grievances. Right. But the whole reason they're trying to do that is because they're trying to distract us from either, A, what they're not doing in terms of leadership or what they've done, which is pretty bad. So it's very much a bait and switch. I get that the whole cancel culture thing holds some kind of allure for people in terms of the argument. But if somebody's bringing that up again and again and again, you have to start to wonder what are they trying to hide? Well, then Herschel's got a bunch of baggage. I mean, you've got his son. Well, we don't talk about kids. Right, but if the son, well, he's not. He's a, not under 18, but. But he puts out some very questionable social media posts that, that are. That would be, he's he's very out there. Look, it's, I mean, Herschel's put some stuff out there. I mean, he was one of the ones that was pushing the conspiracy theory about me and Senator Elena Parent being in Pennsylvania counting votes on election day. I mean, he was pushing that out. And look, I mean, the thing that's so crazy is I'm a big Georgia fan. And in in fact, my first dog ever was named Herschel, right? First dog ever named Herschel, this dog that I adored. And then I have Herschel Walker pushing out these crazy conspiracy theories about me that had never on my bingo card. Never. That had to really hurt. It hurt. But then at the same time, I was like, what? This guy is not ready for prime time. But there's baggage. So there's baggage with the kid. I mean, I just have to play a little snippet of the son. BLM and the left are nothing more than a cult celebrating in the streets right now over career criminal George Floyd. Derek Chauvin is a political prisoner. How are we supposed to have a fair trial when gang BLM, that's what they are, they're a gang. Gang members BLM are out in the streets intimidating the jury. Sleepy Jim Crow Joe Biden is pressuring the jury to convict. The media is churning it up. Maxine Waters is inciting violence. How is that a fair trial? That's not a fair trial. This is a political weapon that the left used and they use Derek Chauvin as a sacrificial lamb. This is disgusting and it concerns me for the future of our country. This is about the future of our country. This is about mob rule. Now the mob decides who's guilty and who's not. Ghetto BLM mobs are going to decide you and I's fate moving forward in our justice system. It's disgusting and it has to be stopped immediately. No ghetto mobs, no mobs. Bring back law and order. Bring back the American justice system. I mean... This is 
Look, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to my whole thing, which is we should all rise and fall based on ourselves. And okay. I, think, I think Bruce Springsteen um, <laughs> has said, you know, I hope that the sins of the father never kind of reach the sun, right? I, 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 it's a slippery slope, though. Look, the whole, like, anti-Biden campaign was about Hunter Biden's troubled life. So... No, and it's out there. Everything's, it's out there. Everything's up for grabs. It is, but but at the same time, we can also we can also say, okay, what's fair game and what's not? Fair enough. But with Herschel Walker, it's almost like I don't know how he would do in a debate with Warnock. I mean, how do you think that would go down? Um, not well. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, Jen, is it a wise play in the sense that, like, you know, you've got that good old boy go Georgia Bulldogs. Is he my guy? Is he going to bring people to the polls? Look, at the end of the day, what the GOP knows right now is that anybody that Trump gets behind is really going to have to be the guy. And I think that that should be really worrying for anybody in the GOP currently in terms of the long-term viability of their party. Well, we're saying this now, but we don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, I just learned the primary for your primary running for attorney general. I mean, we've got a year until we that do. happens. We do. But you know what? When you got to get out there and talk to people, you got to start early, right? You sure do. Listen, we've been seeing, I've been seeing there's a new guy running for governor of South Carolina. Yes, you did see him. A Cunningham. He's sort of dreamy. He's got a new commercial. But what? the wife's not in the commercial. Yeah, that's a little questionable. I wonder that right away. I mean, he puts up this great ad. Especially here's- in South Carolina, which is a very kind of, traditional family values kind of place. It is odd that the wife wasn't front and center. I wonder, the baby's in the spot. How do you get the baby without the without the wife? I, okay, so I wondered that, and then... And we know he's married. Let me <laughs> let me say that. Well, first We're of all, not, I, I mean, researched We know it. that there are some alternative ways to have a child and not right. have to... Right, not be married. I'm not so, saying that. What I'm saying is we know he is married. We know that this woman is the mother of this <laughs> child. So just wanted to clarify. And then you've got a big Senate race in Ohio happening and announcements coming up all the time. So I love seeing the rollout of these ads. So campaign season is really like rolling, rolling, rolling. And Georgia is going to really... We are in the middle of the political storm. I mean, Jen is wearing a dress. I, right. <laughs> this is... Jewelry, a dress, shoes. Like, who does that? It's way so weird for me because I... I only know in-person pandemic Jen. Which is a very different Jen. (laughs) So this is a whole new lesson for you. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to our guest and he's going to break it all down for us. And our guest today was our very first guest. The very first. On the Vote Her podcast when Jen and I didn't even understand how the equipment worked. That was really really hard. And we couldn't believe that we were able to get the Greg Bluestein. <laughs> the. The Greg. Bluestein. From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Now, he is like the main man when it comes to Georgia politics, but you may have seen Greg everywhere from Room Raider on Twitter. Uh, uh, Leslie Jones is critiquing his backdrop. Uh, You've seen him on all the news channels. But where'd you get your start, Greg? (laughs) 
<laughs> the Vote Her podcast. That's right. <laughs> with, with you guys on the podcast as I was driving. I was, I was driving somewhere. I can't remember where. South Georgia, which is South basically... Georgia, somewhere fun. And uh, well, uh, I was just happy probably to be out during the pandemic. Yeah. No, it was great. I mean, you were covering all of this stuff for the election, which was tough, right? Yeah. I mean, you guys just missed it. But my kids are still mostly home from... <laughs> they still at least are back in school, but they're still all over the house. When they come in early, all the after-school activities are still curtailed. So there's still a, a work-life balance that is to, uh, to keep striking with uh, children running around. And I was just on the phone with one of the governor's aides and my daughter comes down, who is that? And you had just texted <laughs> Senator. So is that Jen? Because she saw your text. But, and it was Cody Hall. And Cody goes, no, it's Cody. And he goes, she goes, hi, Cody. There's just no separation. I'm sure Cody was <laughs> like, no, it's not Jen. <laughs> yeah, that's my arch enemy. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, first, let's come out of the gate. You're writing a book which is amazing, um, especially like who gave you the idea to write a book. I have the DMs from you early on back in November when I said to you, Greg, <laughs> you should write a book about all this craziness and you're doing it. I think she wants to pat and on you the back. You were right. And <laughs> you get a finder's fee. Um, <laughs> and now the fun part, now the fun part of actually writing the book and going through the whole process, which is a lot. I am about something like, 300 pages into it now. Oh, wow. So I'm feeling pretty good about where we're going. But um, it's been a lot. And, and, and like, there's no, uh, well, if there's book leave, I'm not taking it. I don't think there's no like formal book leave process at a place like AJC, at the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, the bigger outlets. They'll have, you know, multiple reporters at the same time going on book leave. We don't have that kind of <laughs> staff. Like, we, we have a very, lim- a much more limited staff. And as you guys know very well, it's not like politics and, and political coverage has wound down at all since the runoffs. It's not like we've been we've had vacation time. We've had plenty to cover. So I've been writing it at night, weekends, just in spare time, just squeezing in an hour here, an hour there. But it's coming along. So how are you approaching it? I know you've been interviewing some people, but you know, kind of tell us what your thoughts are or or kind of how you started to approach the book and and kind of how you're you're going about it. I'm kind of feeling it out my own way. I've talked to friends who are authors about their processes, but basically I've kept a very like intense outline and I've done interviews with more than 100 people. And as I do those interviews, I kind of put together a summary of, of, of the interviews and, and where I can put them into the book itself. You know, what stories... Sometimes I'll do an hour or two hour long interview and it's just one sentence in the book. And sometimes, you know... <laughs> There's a 15-minute interview, and I'm like, I can get like a chapter out of it, or I can get a big chunk of a chapter out of this. So it's been um, that's been part of the process. And I'm just like day by day, I, I have the outline and I'm just kind of buckling down and and writing where I need to. I'm writing it chronologically too to make it easier for me. So like right now I'm near the the January 5th runoffs and, and unfortunately the January 6th insurrection. So I'm like right there. And I have a feeling the epilogue could lead with what's happening this week when Joe Biden comes to celebrate his his 100th day in office. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. In terms of the people you're talking to, what surprised you the most in terms of your interviews with folks? Because I'm assuming, I mean, granted, folks are being recorded, but when you spend more than kind of five or 10 minutes with folks, they they tend to be a little bit more open and a little bit more candid. So is has anything kind of struck you in terms of your interviews? 
Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you know, it's very different to have like a quick phone call interview than an hour long or two hour long um, interviews. In some cases, I've gone to people's houses and sat in their backyards and their porches and talked with them for multiple hours. Most want to speak on background, um, which is cool, um, and sort of like let it let me ingest their words into my stories. Well, and, uh, and, and let's stop directly, which is stop really quickly for those mm-hmm. for our, yeah. our listeners. What does it mean when somebody goes on background with you? Very good question. I should have explained that. So on the record means Jed and Jordan said, quote, X, Y, Z. But on background means that basically we can't say that you said it directly, but we can kind of use, uh, and especially with book writing, we can kind of use voice of God, which is just saying authoritatively that not necessarily saying that you said X, Y, Z, but that you felt X, Y, Z, or that you're, you know, that your supporters wanted X, Y, Z. There's just other ways around that. But in general with newspapers, when we say something's off the record, we don't report it at all. And then there's the on background where we say that we we know this information, we can't say where we got it from. So instead we have to say, we got it from a senior Democratic official saying they're running for office or a senior Republican aide says that they hate Trump or whatever it is. And usually has to meet a newsworthy standard. And so, yeah, running, you know, we, we don't we don't let people go on background to just attack other people generally. Has someone spilled the tea, though? Like, it, because Jen was talking about, like, these longer interviews, has there been like, whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've learned <laughs> a lot of myself. I'm like, I didn't, you know, I had no idea that, um, that this happened behind closed doors or, I mean, a lot of the contours of the race we all knew because especially the runoffs, because there was so much attention to it. But yeah, there is a lot of clashing behind the scenes, especially on the, well, particularly on the Republican side, obviously because of differences over how to handle Trump. And of course, Trump himself. So some of it's been reported of it, some of it hasn't. And and a lot of it just hasn't been reported in this whole context, right? Because a third of my book, essentially a third of the book is going to be about the runoffs. The way I've structured it, who knows if that will be the final in the final edit, but I've structured it as a three-parter with the sort of the third part all about the runoffs um, because there were such, there were, we're never going to see races like that again. We're never going to have two Senate races with a nine-week runoff that will decide the fate of who controls the U.S. Senate um, in one state ever again. In a pandemic. In a pandemic with a billion dollars being spent. Yeah. I mean, it was really a true unicorn yeah. of unicorns politically. Yeah, exactly. And the, I mean, just living through the amount of ads that we all saw, just just being someone who lived in Georgia through that. I mean, I think like, you know, we all have PTSD for the next election. Yeah, and like I could write a whole chapter, I'm sure. And they, look, Ad Smith could write a whole book about, about the ads in Georgia, but you're exactly right. And I went through some of the archives and a and billion dollars spent overall, about half a billion dollars just on, Oh, on God. TV ads and broadcast ads alone, which are tremendous. But they all the candidates had very different strategies. Warnock, of course, came out really quickly with the uh, the Alvin the Beagle ad. Your neighbor's um, dog. Can we say that and, now? So this is the yeah, thing. You did, so it's, it's out there. <laughs> uh, I had been messaging with Greg about that dog because early on, I said, are you investigating who whose dog is that? And Greg was like, I know that dog. Yeah, I was kind of sworn to secrecy, and then it came out, and I was I was almost upset. I, I was, I mean, 
I had written about the, the impact of the dog, but then the New York Times did this big spread on the dog. Uh, and I was like, you know what? That t- it got me a little bit because I, like, I could have written that story because I know that dog personally. So the dog <laughs> lived uh, literally um, diagonally across the street from me, Alvin. And uh, we just got our own dog. So uh, we, we were out there a lot. And they've since moved to a neighbor right down the street. But um, I saw Alvin the Beagle all, all the time. And there was a moment, I think it was the debate. And it was right before that, the sole runoff debate where Reverend Warnock came a little bit early and made a joke about like how he didn't need to do his hair because he's bald and everyone kind of laughed at the dad joke. And someone mentioned to him something about the dog and he like gave like a bland answer. And I said something like, I you know, I know the dog isn't yours. I, I alluded to the fact that I knew who the dog's owner was. And he kind of was like a little bit, not miffed, but a little bit set back by it. And I was like, no, I know it's, it's so-and-so's dog. I live across the street. I see it all the time. And he goes, oh yeah. Okay. So you're in on the secret. <laughs> yeah. Because I had someone who, who is also your neighbor pinged me saying, I also know that dog. What does this show us, Jen, that you can trust Greg as a source, you know, because he could have opened up <laughs> the Alvin the dog early on, and he he did he, he not. He was like a lockbox, like right outside my front door. Yeah. What else about the ad strategies came up in your book? I mean, like you know, the Leffler ads were so aggressive. So was everybody on the same page with those ads that she put out because they were quite controversial? Well, and which ones are you talking they about? They were controversial, there? and. and- are you talking about the pre, like the general I'm, or no, post I'm talking about the ones in the runoff. Okay. Because okay. the ones in the runoff were the ones that used Jeremiah Wright. And yeah. then I think towards the end, where to allude what Greg was saying is that you could feel that there were some conversations because in the very end of the campaign, there was a softer side of Kelly that was being showed in her ads, like with the American flag and her waving. And they they became, a maybe as in maybe those mean ads didn't test well. Am I on to something? I mean, so usually the strategy is intro, go hard with attack ads and contrast ads, and then end on a positive note. If If you feel like you're in a comfortable position, if you're losing, sometimes you'll see the end on an even more negative note. And we saw that with Casey Cagle against against Brian Kemp. I mean, they ended on a very brutal note in, in that 2018 runoff. But in this case, you're you're right too because in the general, there most of the most, if not all, of Kelly Leffler's ads were either anti Collins or pro her. There's very very few ads even that mention Warnock's name because that was a completely different contest. That was basically a, 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 a primary, right? Whereas in the runoff, they had a big book. An oppo book this deep, right? Uh, on on a, a yellow pages thick book of opposition that they had gathered on Reverend Warnock. Just from he has a long record of say of, of sermons and stances and writings, right? That they could mine um, to sort of try to drive a contrast. And whereas John Ossoff, what they had on him, they pretty much used in 2017, and it wasn't much. Like it he was, liked Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars stuff. It was like silly stuff. It was meant to make him look immature. I mean, he was in his 20s, right? But it wasn't like substantive difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why you even saw Senator Perdue glomming onto the Warnock attacks because there just wasn't, they were trying to make a mountain out of a molehill with this Russia stuff, basically claiming that he was a closeted Russian spy because 
his his company took a thousand dollars from a distributor that had ties to Hong Kong and China China based uh, uh, companies that, that operated in Hong Kong, right? So they were making this big stretch, and even his his aides were, were even during the campaign acknowledged this was a very very far stretch. But it was a lot easier for all the Republicans to kind of hammer Reverend Warnock because he was less known in a way than, than Ossoff was because Ossoff had gone through that $60 million House campaign. And there was stuff on video that, that Republicans could, could snip out here and there and, and make a contrast with. Ossoff, being a white Jewish guy, felt like he, the key to his victory was, was targeting and it was. It was targeting African-American voters because he already felt like whatever white liberals were going to vote for him were going to vote for him. And so just about all of his ads, if not all of his ads, that his campaign direct financed were all geared at black voters. So one of the things that I thought was fascinating about Leffler's, what she, I guess, perceived or her people perceived to be kind of these negative attacks on Warnock were the ads where they had him preaching and he was preaching Really, I mean, it, I, I guess if you've never been in a Southern Baptist church, you may be put off by it. With the whole idea that look how, look at him as this preacher <laughs> saying this stuff is just awful. And I thought that was quite a misstep in terms of outside of the metro area because, you know, I grew up in Dodge County. I was uh, Southern Baptist church. Probably I was in church more than I was in school. And I heard those sermons all the time. And so for me, I was like, she's almost kind of honing his 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 conservative bona fides, you know, to these groups outside of Metro. Because if I'm watching that and I'm from South Georgia, I'm thinking, well, look at that nice preacher. Because I mean that that is that is what people hear every Sunday. And it is not off-putting. So I thought it was a really Really odd approach for her in terms of an attack ad. Yeah, and one of the things he did to sort of respond and inoculate himself from further attacks was he aired his own ad showing Kelly Leffler sitting in the front row right behind him on the pulpit. At right, MLK because everybody Day. knows that, right? Yeah, so it's one way to say, like, you might... <laughs> even the senator who is attacking me over my sermons was sitting right there in the front row with me doing one of my sermons. I think... Looking back, I mean, and, and and we had conversations about this. Everybody was having conversations about this. And to be quite frank, it's almost political malpractice that, I mean, Warnock, and thankfully, from my perspective, went unscathed during, you know, the general until after November. And then he immediately launched the puppy ad, mm -hmm. basically saying, oh, you know that Kelly Leffler, she's all ugly and she's going to get in here and say ugly things about me because she did that with all the other Republicans, too. I mean, it was really beautifully done. But, man, the fact that they let him skate for as long as he did with really, I mean, really no negative. I mean, I, I think anybody looking back at that race has to say, what were people thinking? I asked national senatorial sources that same question. And it was a debate internally for them as well. You know, some of them argued that they should have used some of these attacks earlier. Um, some of them said, look, why use those attacks in August or September or October when everyone's focused on the presidential race and when we know either way that he's going to land at a runoff? Um, the thing that I kept on watching is, is I'd see some national reports talking about, hey, 
Warnock can win this outright. I said, and look, our polls never showed he could win it outright with 50% plus one of the vote in November. But I said, if we start seeing him being attacked by Republicans, we know that their polls showed that he might have a chance. And we never saw that either. And I remember kind of joking around with the Reverend at one campaign stop about that. He said, oh, they must not think I have a chance in November, do they? I said, no, but they, they, they know that you're the guy to beat in January. Like there was, at that point, there was no thought whatsoever that Matt Lieberman or Ed Tarver or any of these other Democrats running um, would be the, uh, would emerge. Like, like there was some talk about that earlier in that campaign. Let me just ask about the governor's race in 2022 and what that's looking like. I want to get your perspective on not only Governor Kemp and, you know, if someone's going to primary him and, uh, of course, all the news about Herschel Walker potentially running for Senate. What is this? Is this legitimate? Is this going to happen? What are you hearing on the ground? What are your thoughts? Thoughts and prayers? <laughs> for for Georgia Kemp. <laughs> um, so first, the governor's race. I mean, you know, in January, his 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 footing with the party looked really tricky, right? Um, our poll showed him in real hot water with Republicans. Internal polls I sh- I saw showed him in real hot water with Republicans. And his footing has gotten better. It is not great. It's not, I'm sure, where he wants it to be. We saw in grassroots Republican meetings across the state just a few weeks ago that many of these counties ended up rebuking him or censuring him. So he still has a lot of work to do to shore up the grassroots. But at this point, we're not talking about Doug Collins primarying him like President Trump wanted. We're not talking about another big name in the Republican Party trying to force Governor Kemp out of the race or or challenging him. Uh, instead, the biggest name we've heard is a former Democrat named Vernon Jones, who only switched parties a few months ago and about a year ago was voting with the Democratic caucus in Georgia, even if he was a pariah to, to them. So not necessarily a credible a threat to him, at least at this point. Trump could still endorse him, but hasn't. It's been, it's been more than a week now since he got in the race and Trump hasn't said a word about him. So Kemp's standing is, just seems a little surer right now at this stage. And it's partly because of his defense for that election restriction bill that passed, that he signed into law a few weeks ago. Um, that doesn't mean he's in the clear, but to his aides, it's a welcome benefit because he knows that he's going to likely face Stacey Abrams next November. On the Senate side, it's a completely unsettled, meddled mess right now because no big names have gotten in. And if you look at it from the Republican point of view, they had a lock on the state for decades. They narrowly lost, Kelly Leffam narrowly lost to, to Reverend Warnock, but they feel like he's very vulnerable going into 2022. In their mindset, in the GOP mindset, the loss wasn't just because of, of Warnock and Ossoff driving up Democratic turnout. It was also because of a huge undervote in Northwest Georgia and in South Georgia from a lot of Trump supporters who didn't come back to the polls. And there's data that backs, um, you know, I, I think I think both things can be true. I think Democrats could have excelled at turnout, and they did. And Republicans also didn't turn out in the numbers that they expected. So I think both those ended up playing into that. But, and so instead of you having a major big name like David Perdue or Doug Collins or Kelly Leffler in the race early to raise money against Warnock, you've got this kind of bizarre um, standoff with, you have two two lesser known Republicans in the race, Kelvin King and Latham Sadler, both military veterans who are going to run as outsiders. 
but none of the big names are in. They're all watching for who, the next step. Like they're watching to see if Herschel Walker gets in because President Trump is, has has egged him on to get in the race. They're watching to see if Kelly Leffler ends up mounting a rematch because they know she has the the the, the bank account to to get her far uh, and probably get her to a runoff if he gets that far, right? So so it's just kind of this weird frozen mess. And it reminds me a little bit of two years ago when everyone was waiting to see if Stacey Abrams would run for Senate. But Abrams was very clear. She goes, I will make my decision by March. And then I think it's it's scooted to April. But she still made her decision fairly early and let the field go, go on without her. Whereas, at least in Herschel Walker's case, he's, he's basically saying, I'm in no rush. Um, he's like, I'm still thinking about it, but he... He's not, he's not even here. He's in Texas. So he's not hearing from the grassroots activists every day who are begging him to make up his mind so that the field can, can move on without him. And if it does move on without him, we've got a lot of names. You know, today, Doug Collins says he's not running. But um, a lot of still big names, but not necessarily the, the, the marquee names in the Republican Party, but Congressman Buddy Carter, Congressman Drew Ferguson, um, Ag Commissioner Gary Black are a couple of the names who are thinking about running. Chris Carr, the AG, has been rumored to be looking at a run, but I, I'm hearing he's leaning against it at this point. So, you know, there's still, and the Kelly Leffler's name is still out there. So there's still some, some you know, some big-time folks who are looking at it, but not of the same caliber that maybe um, David Perdue would have brought if he had decided immediately to run again. What about the jean jacket? I mean, maybe the jean like, where jacket did, where did it could just run. You know, they could just, (laughs) it could be like weekend at Bernie's. They could just bring it places, stick a flag in it. Just stick a flag in it. (laughs) So out of everything you just said, the thing that struck me is the fact that Trump has not come out to endorse Vernon Jones. And so that just is funny to me because even Vernon Jones may be a bridge too far for for our former president. Well, we knew he was going to announce a couple of Fridays ago. So I did a jolt uh, for our newsletter, uh, like a headline basically saying, do Republicans hate Brian Kemp enough to vote for a former Democrat with a history of scandal, right? I mean, that's basically what it is. And scandal um, is an understatement. Like that's right. like, that's like really right. there's a softball. Sexual assault allegations, there's corruption charges. There's all sorts of different things that have been leveled against them. Uh, and we'll be writing, uh, we'll have more stories on all, all that to come. but. Yeah, he, he is a, 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 a former Democrat with a long history and really was vilified. I live in North DeKalb. I mean, he was the enemy number one to the Republicans in my neck of the woods for the longest time. So it's hard to see that sort of sea change that quickly. I know he was a hero among, uh, you know, he was a crowd favorite at, at Trump rallies all last year and he crowd surfed and he got a, he would intro Trump and he got a big, you know, big ovations. But Does that translate to votes against the state's first lifelong Republican governor since Reconstruction? People, the activists and and grassroots folks and officials I talked to on the Republican side are very, very dubious. And Trump is still very concerned about his win-loss record in terms of these endorsements. You know, he he made a big deal about, you know, winning 90-something percent of his endorsements during his presidential term. And so he's not just handing out endorsements like candy and just you know, these, these aren't, these are things that he, he takes it seriously, apparently. And so do the people around him. And they're very well aware of the same things that I just mentioned about Vernon Jones. So if he endorses, it's because he, 
he knew about Vernon's past and still decided to go for it. Well, Greg, thank you. We really, really appreciate it. We know you're busy, and but we love talking to you and getting your perspective. Yeah, thank you for having me. There you have it, Greg Bluestein. It's always incredible because to talk to him kind of in a more relaxed capacity because he's always up at the Capitol. I mean, he's completely on it, and I don't think he rests. So um, he really is... It's incredible that we have him here in Atlanta. He's the best. And okay, so I want to do a funny story of the week, and that is watching conservative Twitter have a really good time talking about Joe Biden's green or environmental plan. And and there's been some like new versions of the Green New Deal talking about a carbon footprint and how... And he has in no way proposed not eating meat. It's just a lower carbon footprint is good for the environment. And Larry Kudlow went ahead and and had some thoughts on this. Speaking of stupid, there's a study coming out of the University of Michigan, which says that to meet the Biden Green New Deal targets, America has to get this. America has to stop eating meat, stop eating poultry, fish, Seafood, eggs, dairy, and animal-based fats. Okay, we got that? No burgers on July 4th. No steaks on the Barbie. I'm sure middle America is just going to love that. Can you grill those Brussels sprouts? So get ready. You can throw back a plant-based beer with your grilled Brussels sprouts and wave your American flag. Call it July 4th green. Now, I'm making fun of this. Because I intend to make fun of it. This kind of thinking is stupid. It comes from a bunch of ideological zealots who don't care one whit about America's well-being. Not one whit. (laughs) So I saw all weekend on Twitter all of these conservatives, Lauren Boebert, you had the Greg Abbott from Texas, all saying... Joe Biden's not going to take meat away from me. Now, this is a, this is a made-up thing based on an article that was in the Sun UK or the Daily Mail. Daily Mail, not even... And so it became this talking point of, you can't eat meat. Yeah, so this is the deal. A, it's made up because that's all they can talk about now are made-up controversies because they don't want people to actually pay attention to what they're doing or what they're not doing. But even apart from that, it's like... I've noticed a few of these people, they may need to consult their doctors in terms of how much meat they're actually eating. (laughs) Are you a big meat eater? I'm not. You know, it's funny, in law school, I was a vegetarian, but not because of any reason other than I was poor. (laughs) (laughs) Meat's pretty expensive. So it was one of those things where, you know, I could uh, be a vegetarian and and actually afford to eat. Hey, that's a really good angle as far as like to counter that. Like, oh, you're going to ban meat? Like, oh, you must be, you know, fat cat, you know, private jet, steak eater. Yeah, whatever, steak eaters. You know, look, it's it's always about this made up stuff. It's like if people just actually paid attention to what their jobs were and what the problems really were, we'd get a lot further. All right, just a couple business housekeeping. How's the attorney general race going? You announced on our last podcast, you've been fundraising, you've been having meetings. As we mentioned, you're wearing a dress, a gorgeous animal clothes, print. Clothes, clothes. I'm wearing clothes. Yes. yes, that's very good. How's it going? You, 
It's great. And actually, the response has been amazing. And, you know, we've got a year before even the primary, but we're making it clear that uh, we're in it to win it. So running as hard as we can right from the start. Okay. The website we can go to to give you money? Jen, the number four, Georgia spelled out, dot com. Okay, jenforgeorgia.com. Everybody check it out. You could look at all of Jen's platforms. And coming up, we've got some exciting guests. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I got another good guest. I'll tell you, you know, oh. something for you to look forward to. We want to thank Christina Laringer, as always, for producing and editing. And if you want to reach out to us, we're at Podcast Vote on Twitter at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis. You can always reach out to us and send us feedback. Oh, oh, I have to say hi to Adam Marks. Uh, Oh, yeah, he did a shout out to you on Twitter. (laughs) I knew you would love that. Because he said I had a dream that I was on the Vote Her podcast. And I was like, well, I'm going to give you, because I love attention. And so thank you for that. And thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. 